begin with one verse of scripture today. And the title of this message, as often is in my sermons, is in this text. We've been in a series in the life of Elijah, and they've really been speaking to me. I'd intended to go back to that even today, but I I sensed the Lord wanted to bring our attention back to something, as I've said, is holy ground today. This is holy ground today. This is holy ground scripture today. There's nothing more sacred than this right here. And we read these words in Galatians chapter 6, in verse number 14. Paul, writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, But God forbid that I should boast or glory except in the cross. My title will be there, the cross. Glory or boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. And you'll notice those words. The cross. In your own heart. You don't have to say it out loud. Just in your own heart. The cross. Today I want to talk about the cross. I don't want to talk about just any cross. Of which there has. Maybe you don't know this. There has been hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands probably have died on crosses. In fact, even when Jesus was about 12 years old, extra biblical history, the Romans crucified in a town about 20 miles away from Nazareth. Extra biblical, not the Bible, but extra biblical history. There were 2,000 that were hung on crosses by the Romans. Jesus would have been about 12 years old. Jesus would have been very, very aware of a cross. Hundreds of thousands of crosses. But the one I want to talk about today. Is the one that matters. And that is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The cross. The cross was planned by God in the mind and the heart of God. It says, from the very foundation of the world. John in Revelation says these words, All who dwell on the earth and worship Him, that's Antichrist, Whose names have not been written in, notice, the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. We're here on Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago, Jesus began the last week of his earthly life. He had been born supernaturally by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary some almost 33 and a half years before. And now 
He comes to the last week of his earthly life. But in truth, no one takes his life from him. How can you take life from him who is the prince of life? He, as the good shepherd, has given his life for the sheep. The end of this week, the very Son of God, the very creator of the world, God Emmanuel in flesh, would hang on a cross. He would have nails in his hands, nails in his feet. There would be a crown upon his brow. And he would hang six hours between heaven and earth for the sins of all mankind. The week started like this. On a Friday, Jesus would arrive in Bethany at the home of some very special friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He, through his mercy and power and grace, raised Lazarus from the dead. And Lazarus would be there around that table. And it was there in the house that Mary would anoint him with oil, precious ointment, very expensive ointment. And he, she would be criticized for it by Judas and others. On the Saturday of that week, which was, of course, the Jewish Sabbath, nothing is mentioned in Scripture. We presume that Jesus rested on the Sabbath like all Jews did. On that Sunday... There would be the triumphant entry where Jesus would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey as prophesied by the prophet Zechariah. They would spread their clothes and palm branches and say, Blessed, Hosannas, that means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Brother Reese read the scripture. This is the day. The Lord has made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And all those surrounding verses in Psalm 118, we quote that verse, and we wake up on a Monday or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and 2021, and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. But in context, it's not talking about your day. It's talking about a specific day. It's talking about the most important day. What is that day? That's the day Jesus died for the sins of the world. This is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. That day was the day the very Son of God hung between heaven and earth and took my sin and took your sins. Hosanna, save now. He would ride into Jerusalem. Some of the, some of the Gospels don't get it, don't, don't include all the information. It looks like in Scripture that when he rode in Jerusalem, he went right to the temple, he turned over the money changers and drove, drove those guys out, but that's not how it happened. On that Sunday, he walked in and he just looked around the temple. He just observed everything. He went back out to the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then the next day, on a Monday, he came back to the temple. And he cleansed the temple for the second time. It is believed that he cleansed the temple in the first part of his ministry. And we believe that here is the second time. That Jesus cleansed the temple. It says, and I read in Matthew, Jesus went into the temple of God. 
He drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple. He overturned the tables of of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said, it is written, my house. This is a messianic statement because the temple belonged to Jehovah God. Jesus, in a veiled way, to their minds, my house shall be called the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And also, the the little children came and were praising him and worshiping him. We pray that out here in these classrooms, that's what's happening today. They're praising Jesus. They're learning about Jesus, and they're honoring Jesus. That's always appropriate. Children need to be in the house of God. On Tuesday... On the Mount of Olives, Jesus taught in parables. On Tuesday, he evaded the traps of the priest. Jesus would pronounce woe judgments on the blind religious leaders. He would predict the destruction of the temple. And he would proclaim that he was leaving, but he would return again one day. And I want you to know Jesus is coming again. Wednesday is a silent day again. We have no record of anything Jesus did on Wednesday. On Thursday, Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples. But he did something unique. He gave Passover a new meaning, which is still with us today of which we will celebrate Friday. The bread and the cup of wine represented His body that would be hung on the cross and His blood that would be shed for all mankind. And what He did was instituted the Lord's Supper. And there in that upper room, they sang a hymn and then they went out to the Garden of Gethsemane. And at the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would fall on His knees And he would pray. In great agony, he would pray. He would pray under such spiritual, emotional stress that Luke says that blood flowed from his brow. And there, late at night, and really on Friday, he would experience betrayal. He would experience arrest, desertion, beating, mockery. And as he was making his way to Golgotha, he would, be, he would be so weak from the physical turmoil that a man by the name of Simon of Serene would have to be compelled to carry the cross because Jesus was physically out of strength. On Friday into Saturday, Jesus will have died at 3 p.m., That's when the customary evening sacrifice would be offered. He had hung there six hours. There again, no one takes his life from him. He's hanging between heaven and earth. And the good shepherd says, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit to God. He committed his spirit to God. In other words, he dismissed his spirit. They would take the body of Jesus. And on Friday before 6 p.m., 
his body would be in the tomb of which we went to one. It looked like the one. Friday night, all day Sabbath, which is Saturday, his body would lay in the tomb. But then Sunday, Sunday always comes for God's people. Early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene, the other Mary made their way to the tomb. When they got there, they found the stone rolled away. There was an angel there. And the angel said, he is not here He is risen as he said. And during those moments in the garden, Jesus reveals himself to Mary Magdalene. The very first person to ever proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ was Mary Magdalene. And she proclaimed, he is risen, he is risen, he is risen to the disciples. And some of those hard heads couldn't even even believe it. Jesus would reveal himself to Peter, John, or Peter, and then to the two men on the Emmaus roads. Jesus would appear to all of his disciples, less Thomas, and then later when Thomas was there, and later, much later, to Paul on the the Damascus roads. Jesus would ascend 40 days later. And for 2,000 years, he's been reigning at the right hand. Father God. Peter in the book of Acts summarizes the plan of salvation. And he says this. Acts 3 says, The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. This is a sermon he's preaching. Whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. When he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One. And the just. And you asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life. Whom God raised up from the dead. Of which we are witnesses. And in his name and through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and you know. And of course he's talking about the miracle of the lame man at the gate. Let me give you some thoughts about the cross. The first thing I would say to you is this. The cross is the very center of human history. Now, if, if you look at secular history, uh, Brother Ian, I don't know if he's here this morning, Brother Ian uh, and Brother Sister Joe and David gave me one of these years ago, a calendar that has redemptive history and secular history side by side. You know, the Chinese dynasties and when all this, and then what was going on in redemptive history, and it parallels. We actually had that framed. You remember that, Joe. If you look at secular history, even today, what's important from a secular, worldly mindset is really not what's important. You understand this? 
All the things that are going on. All the things that the news media, whoever they are, are parroting today. Really pale into significance even what is happening in this room this morning. And of all the things that have happened in human history... To many, the cross was nothing more, not even a blip on the screen. But what this world doesn't truly grasp is this. The center of human history is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's how how important it is. That's how sacred it is in the plan of God. From the moment that Adam sinned, God had pre-planned. In Genesis it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head. He, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Really talking about the, 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 the cross and the suffering that it would take to redeem Adam's fallen race. And through the millennia, through the millennia, from Enoch to Abraham to Joseph, to the prophets, to the remnant, they looked for the Savior. They looked for someone who was promised, who would come and to redeem. The Jewish people became confused at the prophecies. Because as, as, as Hebrews says, he was many portions and many ways that the Lord spoke. And they weren't as clear as what we have today. And they didn't understand him. In fact, at one time, because they couldn't understand in like the Psalms, it would say that Messiah will be a conqueror and he will be a victor. And then in some of the prophets, they would say he would suffer and he would bleed, he would die, and he would be this and that. <clears throat> they, could not, <clears throat> they could not correspond the two to where some Jewish people had developed a theology of a dual Messiah. They just couldn't figure out how. But listen, we can't figure out the ways of God. Some prophecies you can't understand until afterwards. I mean, do you understand the revelation? You got it all figured out? I have stacks of books and stacks of books and stacks of books on revelation. I still don't have it figured out. But I know it's going to happen. Just like the Lord wants it to happen. They looked for Savior. Peter said this, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come, searching what manner of time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. Of course, Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for iniquity, the chastisement, our peace is on him, and with the stripes we're healed. The Jewish people say that that is speaking of the Jewish nation, the suffering nation. That's how they interpret it. But recently I heard a testimony of a Jewish lady who read Isaiah 50, uh, 53, and she was born again. Jesus was revealed to her. That's speaking in prophetic words, the suffering of Jesus. Where? On the cross. 
on the cross. The Old Testament saints, they look forward to the cross, to one who would come. Now, by faith, we look back to what Jesus has done on the cross. Now, think about this. The cross is the center of human history. It's the most important, the most significant event the world has ever known or will know. But I would also say this. We are here today. and We are talking about a 2,000 year old event. But for us, it has to be more than that. In other words, it has to be more than a 2,000 year old event. Because do you realize that not only is the cross of Christ the center of human history, the cross is to be a part of every day in each of our lives. Every single day. Jesus spoke of it like this. In Luke he said, Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross and follow me. What is the cross? The cross is about pain and suffering. The cross is about dying to yourself. One of the things that I like to do is play golf. It's pretty much the only thing I do besides church work. (laughs) It's something I like to do. It gives me a mental break. So don't beat me up on it. It's just something I like to do. And recently I made a commitment that I was going to change some things. I was going to change, now this, those of you that don't play golf, this means absolutely nothing to you, but let me try to explain it. I made a commitment that, I, you know, to improve, there has to be change. You can keep doing the same stuff you're doing, you're going to get the same result. So to get better, you have to change. And that's the way it is in the Christian life. You can keep doing the same stuff you're doing, or you can make a commitment to change. But how I many you know in, in, in change, there's pain? In the cross, there's pain. So I made a commitment. I'm changing my grip. And you say, well, that's, what's that mean? Oh, it's that big deal. If I could explain it this way, to change a golf grip, it's, if I could tell you if you're right-hand dominant and I said, okay, I want you to sign your name left-handed, how would that feel? That's about the way it feels. So I changed my grip. And I stand here today, blister, have blisters, blisters, have blisters all over my hands, blisters. Why? Because change takes pain. And there's a cross that happened 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a historical cross, a real cross, and it has meaning today. But he said, if you're going to follow me, you have to take up your cross. If you want to change and really be like Jesus, some old habits are going to have to die. We have to take up the cross and die to those things that are displeasing to him. That keep us back from full life and better life in Him. The cross is what? The center of human history. But also I would say this. And this is really amazing to me. The cross enabled the greatest exchange the world has ever known. I don't know if you've ever bartered with someone and you felt like you got the good end of the deal or the bad end of the deal and maybe both we're not such a bartering culture anymore 
But I want you to know there was an exchange that took place. And there was one in that exchange that got the worst end of the deal. And his name is Jesus. And then there was everyone else who believes upon Christ that got the best end of the exchange. Listen, listen to this exchange. Listen to this back and forth from Christ to us. Peter said it this way. Who himself, Jesus, bore our sin in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live to righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. What an exchange. What did the cross do? On the cross, Jesus, see now there's people that have different views of the cross. You know, in this church, we believe in substitutionary atonement. We don't believe that the cross was just an act of kindness, though it was. We don't believe that the cross was just an example that Jesus set. We believe that a supernatural transaction took place that gave the ability that whosoever will believe can have their lives changed for eternity. On the cross, Jesus dealt with our sins. He even dealt with our suffering. He dealt with our sorrows. So in other words, Jesus died as a substitute. His death is a substitutionary death, meaning that he died in our place. The cross does five things. At the cross, God exchanges your sin for his righteousness, Christ's righteousness. He who knew no sin... Became sin for us. That means a sin offering. Understand that. Jesus never sinned. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Romans says, for in it, in the gospel, our gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Another thing that happened at the cross is this. God declared you and I not guilty. Romans says, therefore, being justified by faith. Of course, Romans again says, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt on us today. Now, there's one thing I know about everyone, including this speaker, probably, certainly this speaker. And that is this, that all of us have sinned. All of us have sinned. But, if, but in Christ, an amazing transaction takes place because of the cross. It's enabled by the cross, an incredible exchange, and that is this. He takes our guilt, he takes our shame, he declares us not guilty, he declares us not just not guilty, but justified, righteous in his presence. Though I know practically I am not righteous in all areas of my life, yet because of the miraculous gospel that he has given us, we are righteous in his sight. Lord, do you remember those sins? What sins? What sins? What sins? Why are you talking to me about that? Those sins are gone. Come on, never to be remembered no more, right? Come on, gone. Some of you know what I'm talking about in here. Hallelujah. I'm also declared, he declares us his children. Now understand... God could have saved us without adopting us. You can save, some with a, you can save someone without bringing them into your family. 
You can just release your power and save someone. God could have saved us. He did not have to invite us into his family. But you understand, because of the cross, we are declared that we, uh, John says this, but as many as received him, them gave he the right to become the children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the flesh, will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. And I love Romans where it says, we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But we receive the spirit of adoption. We we cry, Abba, Abba, Father. You could say it this way, Abba, Abba. You could say it, Father, Father, but it's Father, Father. Father, Father. Abba, Father. Abba, Father. It says that the spirit bears witness with our spirits. With our spirit. In other words, the spirit of God, big S, is communicating with our spirit, little s, our human spirit, that we are the children of God. Now, I told you several times, I have a series of sermons I'm developing because we're having an identity crisis in our culture today. People don't know who they are. They're confused about who we are. We're going to find out who we are in Christ another time. Another thing that happened because of the cross, the Lord gave us unrestricted access to his presence. The, the veil, remember the veil was rent. They said the veil was four feet thick. One, one writer said, or extra biblical said, four, four yoke of oxen couldn't have pulled that, that veil in two. But when Jesus said it's finished, by the finger of God, he ripped that thing down the middle. And it symbolized that we have unrestricted access to the presence of God. We can bring all of our cares there. We can bring all of our worries there. We can bring our disappointments there. We can bring our sins there. We can bring our questions there. We can bring everything into the very presence of God. Why? Because of the cross and what Jesus did, the veil has been rent. And we have unrestricted access to the presence of Almighty God. And because of the cross... We have been granted eternal life. Eternal life. Not Listen, not that we're going to be granted eternal life. Eternal life is not just a duration of life, though it is. It is a type of life. It is a quality of life given by the Spirit of the living God. And we have life. Listen, that's why, that's why the born-again experience... We've under-preached it. Preachers have under-preached it. Being born again is a miracle. You become a person. We don't even fit in this world anymore. The Spirit of God in us has given us life eternal that will last forever. We have the same Spirit. You understand the bond that we even have in this room because the same Spirit that dwells in Christ dwells in us We've all been made to drink of the one spirit. Therefore, the the distinctions that humans make, God doesn't make those distinctions. We are a family. You understand? We are a family because of the spirit that is in each of us. In other words, we all share family life together. How could you not love your family? 
I'm not saying us. I'm saying how could, how could people not love their... You love your family, and we love the family of God. That's one of the signs we're born again. We love the church. We love the people of God. Quickly. I would also say this about the cross, and that's this. The cross holds wonder and amazement for us. I am amazed at the cross. Because the cross is at the very heart of God's plan for salvation. See, see, understand this. The cross, crucifixion, death by crucifixion, is one of the most shameful. And it's one of the most painful forms of execution. It's been said that the Persians invented crucifixion, but the Romans perfected it. And because of what it meant in the first century. We don't get it today. We don't get the weight of, of how shameful it was to die on the cross, a cross. Because of that, it was a stumbling block. Paul talked about how that it was a stumbling block. And who, who is the cross a stumbling block to? The cross is a stumbling block to those who want to use worldly ways of solving problems. They want a human problem. Or, or a, a human solution, that is, for the human condition. But I can tell you this. There will never, and there, there has never, and there will never be a human solution to the problem of man's brokenness and sin. There's only one answer, and it's the cross. Humanism must bow. Listen to me. Humanism must bow before God's cross. Humanism is defined this way. Humanism is the belief that stresses potential value and the goodness of a human being. Emphasizing common human needs. But, but it seeks solely in rational, rational ways to solve human problems. It's humanism. It's, it's man thinking he can solve his own spiritual problems. It's looking for human ways, for problems that only God can solve. So what I would say to you is this. Those today who are standing behind pulpits and are preaching this book, and it's becoming more and more common, are, that are preaching this book, that are opening the pages of the Word of God and are using this, for a self-help book, they have actually departed from the very core truth of the gospel. Meaning this, in the gospel, we don't find a self-help book. In the gospel, what we find is that we as human beings are utterly hopeless and helpless to save ourselves. We can't wash our sins away. Why do you think so many people are on drugs today? They're trying to wash away the guilt. They're trying to get rid of the emptiness. But the only answer to the human condition is the death of Jesus Christ on His cross with the subsequent resurrection. This is not a self-help book. This is a book when I open it, it utterly slays my prides. It slays my human cleverness. Why? Because the answer is not a human answer. It's a spiritual answer. And the only way that we can be reconciled to God is through the death of Jesus on the cross. Paul said it this, and I'm hurrying. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. In verse 22 of that chapter, for the, for the Jews seek a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. You say, well, Pastor, what happens at the cross? What happens at the cross is God demonstrates his power. The power is demonstrated in the weakness of God. The Bible says the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So in other words, Jesus hang on the cross naked. Jesus hang on the cross in weakness. He's hanging utterly utterly weak as it looked like as a human being and yet out of that weakness every sin was taken care of Satan was defeated hell itself was shaken why because there the power of God is demonstrated but also the love of God is demonstrated God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us God went beyond words And he died on the cross. God demonstrates his holiness at the cross. He wiped out, Colossians says he wiped out the handwriting of requirements against us that were contrary to us, having taken it away and nailed it to the cross. How would a holy God reconcile all of this? How would he reconcile us to his holiness? How how would he do this? Without having to cast us all in hell. That's what we deserve. Absolutely. How would God do it? Crimes have been committed. We've all committed crimes. We've all sinned. We've all lied and cheated and lusted and said things we didn't want to say and said anyway and etc, etc, etc. Romans 3 says the, the poison of asp is on their lips. No man seeks after God. How would God uphold his righteousness and yet still be loving because of this? At the cross, the holiness and the love of God meet together, perfect balance and perfect wisdom. Jesus died, the holy, spotless Lamb of God in my place. The holiness of God, the love of God, so loving, not willing to let us die eternally. So through the Holy Son of God, His holiness and His love meet together in rescuing us. So we have God's perfect wisdom The wisdom of God is revealed in the cross. Man's wisdom is self-help. Man's wisdom is is clever ideas and clever schemes and human strength that all fail to save us. But it's at the cross where the power of God, the wisdom of God, and the grace of God met together. And now whosoever will may come and drink of the waters of life freely. So what is the cross? The cross is a victory. Not a defeat. It looks like a defeat. Can you imagine standing there, Peter, James, John, all these guys, and they're going, this looks like a defeat. You think it felt like a victory? 
You think our, the Savior, the Son of God, the one to perform miracles and call them, hanging on a cross. And from God's viewpoint, it was a complete victory. But from their human standpoint, they're going, this is bad and getting worse. But I want you to know the cross is not a defeat. The cross is an absolute victory. It was there. Satan's power was completely obliterated over our lives. Sins were taken away. Your old, your old self that you used to be died with Jesus on the cross. Sickness was placed there. The curse of the law was placed there. Our judgment was placed there. Everlasting death was placed there upon Jesus, our Son of God. And he said, it's finished. The work is finished. You understand, it's finished. This is why so many Christians are so miserable. It's because they, they don't know it's a finished work. It's not, about, it's not about doing. It's about done. It's not about what we do. It's about what he did 2,000 years ago. Faith releases the riches and the blessing of God and everything that we will ever need. It is finished. Say that with me. It is finished. It is a finished work. And it was there on the cross. I'll close with this verse. If you would, somebody would come to the piano and then... Galatians 2.20, look at this verse, let's stand, all of us standing. There's two revelations that we need to grasp of the cross. And one is that Jesus died for you, you. You, you, Jesus died for you. He died for me. He was hanging there, not for his health. He was hanging there for you. Jesus died in my place. He died in your place. But there's, a, there's you've got to get this. Not only did he die for you, but you died in him. You died in him. Look at the verse, Colossians, uh, uh, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. That means dead. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Here's what that means. We have this, this, this idea in the Old Testament of a representative. David went out on the battlefield and he said, Goliath said, give me a man. And whoever wins this battle, all the others will be defeated and serve them. David went and represented all of Israel. And David won the victory. And all of Israel got to enjoy the victory. And in a sense, that's exactly what happened. Jesus died there for us. And he won a great victory. And whosoever will believe can experience peace and forgiveness and love like you've never loved before. Some of you were raised in homes. You never got a kind word. It was always you're dumb, you're stupid, you never measure up. But in God's family, the love of God is poured out in our hearts. God is a perfect father. And God's love is not a, it's not a cultural love. It's not a racial love. It's not, a, it's not a discriminatory love. It's just love. 
It's just love. I was at a stop. This has been long, just months and months ago. I was at a rest stop. My wife and I were, I don't know, you know, it just kind of goes, it, it, uh, it just flies by. You know, in time, sometimes you say it was yesterday and you go, oh, wait, that was two months ago. All this, all this stuff that was going on in our nation, there was, a, there was a black man I started talking to. We started talking about all of this that's going on. And I, and I told that man, I said, uh, I forgot how the conversation went. But I said, uh, I told this man, I said, well, we had talked and I, and I said, you know, brother, I love you. And he said, well, I love you. And I thought, well, we got it solved, don't we? That's, that's it, right? To love each other. And I did, I said, and we exchanged numbers. And I told him where our church was. He was a truck driver. And I said, hey, please come and visit us. Watch us online. But I said, I, I love you. And he said, I love you. And that's the answer to our country. Love, forgiveness, and mercy, and grace. And we find that grace where? In the cross. In the cross of Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to do. We're going to close this service. Here's what Paul said in the text. I glory and save nothing but the cross. Could you do me a favor? Could I ask everyone that would? We're going to take a moment, and this will be our conclusion. We're going to come together around these altars, and we're going to glory in the cross. We're going to thank Him for what He did in His death, His resurrection. Would you join me? Everyone that would, would you join me? Just, would you join me? Maybe some singers would come. We glory in the cross. As you come, would you press up? We glory in the cross. Would you do it with me? We worship you because of the cross. We glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We feel your presence today, Holy Spirit. And we know what the Holy Spirit does. We know what you do, Holy Spirit. You don't exalt any any human thing, but what you do, Holy Spirit, is you exalt Christ. And today, we follow the Spirit. We glory in the cross. So right there where you are, let's just glory in the cross. Think about the cross. That's what Paul said. That was his glory. That's what he worshiped. That's what he praised. That's what he exalted. So I want us to do what Paul did. Let's glory in the cross in your own way. There, whatever the Holy Spirit inspires you, just worship Him. Thank Him for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you have sin in your life and you're struggling. Why don't you confess that and ask Jesus to take His blood and just wash you and make you new. He'll do it. He'll do it. We glory in the cross. We bless your great and awesome name. Thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cross. We bless your holy name. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Thank you. You haven't held our sins against us, but you washed us. Hallelujah.